Thanks for listening to Anti-Monitor. This week marks the release of the 24th James Bond movie, so we put ourselves through the torturous task of sitting through Die Another Day, the movie that retired Pierce Brosnan and ushered in the age of Danny Craig. But first, we're going to gripe about AMC's Seth Rogen-produced Preacher series. So get ready, as Anti-Monitor melts the frozen palace in your heart, and we kick some ice. Kick some ice! Ow! Oh my gosh, does that suck? <laughs> Man, you are one pathetic loser. You're listening to Anti-Monitor from DoomRocket.com. Knew it, I'm surrounded by assholes. I'm not even going to dignify myself with a response to that. That's right, welcome back to Anti-Monitor. I'm Matt Birdman Fleming, with me as always, Jared Jones, editor-in-chief of DoomRocket.com, and a man who I can testify... His word is bond. That's true. That is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, also owns several copies of James Bond films on VHS tape. Well, I gave a lot of them to my friend Rudy. Oh, on, on, really? Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, he just thanked me on Facebook for that. That's a pretty nice move. What a sweet guy. And of course, we're talking about James Bond right now because this is the week for uh, America's release of Spectre, mm-hmm. the new James Bond film oh, that yeah. has uh, some people on... Pins and needles a little bit. I'm, I'm on more pins than needle. Okay. Or are the, They're about the, the same. They're the same thing. More or less. You're getting pricked either way. <laughs> I bet. That's true. Uh, in the meantime, there was something else that you're not too excited about, right? That's the, true. The uh, first trailer for the Preacher series, of course, adapted from the comic book. Mm. Um, and the series produced by Seth Rogen. And Evan Goldberg. And Evan Goldberg. Yeah. The guys behind such uh, gritty dramas as... Um, the interview, yeah, uh, and, and the imminent uh, uh, night before. The night before, that's, that's right. The Christmas movie. The Christmas movie where uh, a, Jew, Ro- yeah. a Jew ch- takes drugs and uh, freaks out, mm-hmm. amongst many other uh, very uh, earnest and uh, somber things. That's right. This is definitely not the tone that we're used to from him. Uh, pre- okay, so when I first heard that uh, AMC was considering a preacher series through. Goldberg and Rogan, um, uh, automatically my my impulse, my instinct was to say, fuck all of this, I'm out. But, I mean, right now we're living in a wonderful time where networks are taking extra care to uh, nurture their comic book properties. And we've never seen more than today. I mean, good God, how many are we going to end up covering by the end of this year? I mean, we've got Jessica Jones coming, Supergirl, Flash. We're not covering Arrow. We could have covered Arrow. We got... Uh, season two of Daredevil coming up. Daredevil's also coming up, but like, there's just all these shows that are doing remarkably well. Um, uh, and chief amongst them, the granddaddy of all superhero TV shows, The Walking Dead. That's right. Is crushing it with the ratings, is like, in the midst of an incredible season right now. So when AMC says, yes, let's adapt this series, I want to throw caution to the wind. But then I start hearing these little things. You know, these little things on the internet. Like, uh... Like uh, character descriptions, okay, and, and like you could tell that Rogan and uh, uh, Goldberg wrote them after they took you know deep long tugs on their bongs and were That's like, right. "Man, how bitchin' was pre- uh, preacher man? Oh, you know who's dope? Cassidy, best bro you ever had." And I'm not kidding. The best bro you ever had is in the synopsis for, or the character description for for Cassidy. So so it's like those little things set my spidey sense tingling. But then I hear other bullshit, like how um, 
maybe the opening theme song will actually be Son of a Preacher Man. Because, you know, Preacher's in the title. Oh and preacher, my yeah, god. Yeah, that, and that's real. That's fucking terrible. You want to know what's funny? Is I tweeted that that makes about as much sense as uh, making a Spider-Man show and having the theme song be uh, Spider-Webs by No Doubt. Mm-hmm. And Seth Rogen actually uh, liked that tweet. So that- he, at least he's aware that he's a joke. <laughs> but, um... Or at least he thinks that I think he's a... He thinks you're funny. But yeah, so like everything about this show is just like getting me like really anxious because this is one of my favorite comic book series of all time. Like Garth Ennis, Steve Dillon, these guys had worked together before in a a Vertigo series, uh, most famously for Hellblazer um, before it turned into whatever the hell DC's done with John Constantine these days. But uh, these guys coming together for Preacher was like, like lightning in a bottle. 66 perfect issues. You cannot touch them. And, you know, what's funny is that all you have to do is take the, that stack of comics, single issues, walk up to a, a, a network, throw them across the boardroom table and go, there's 66 episodes right here. Here you go. Green light this mother and let's make this happen. And and any shrewd uh, uh, television producer would be like, yeah, absolutely. But instead, you know, this actually happened in HBO once upon a time. HBO was, like, so close to greenlighting a pilot, and then they got wet feet for some stupid reason. Um, I guess they ran out of money because of Game of Thrones? I doubt that, because they're making they, money. They can't boot coup bucks. Yeah. So it, it makes no sense that it would revert to AMC, but I don't know, Bertie. If we had to rate the networks right now, the uh, non, uh, you know, ABC, CBS, etc., what, what would be the best networks for television these days? Well, obviously, HBO has become this, has kind of experienced a resurgence, the likes of which they haven't had since Sopranos. Mm. With Game of Thrones and with other shows, and they're trying to build upon that, and they're trying to be the Trump to AMC and FX. Well, they don't have to try at this point anymore. All they got to do is just crank out another season of Game of Thrones. It's done. Well, but they need stuff to fill in the... Nine months of the year yeah. that Game of Thrones isn't on. Man. Uh, but AMC, FX, mm-hmm. um, these are the yeah. networks that are kind of competing. Showtime's trying, yeah. trying to get back in the game. And they got Twin Peaks on the way. They got Twin Peaks on the way. Mm-hmm. Stars is trying to get in the mix with uh, Ash versus Evil Dead. Still got to check that out. Still got to check that out. That's right. I'm glad that you brought up FX because um, we're, we're covering Fargo this season. And um, FX is really kind of... It kind of keeps a, a, a warm spot somewhere in the cockles of my heart. Oh, like like they they did the shield. That was the first. That that, that was them arriving. Mm-hmm. And anything that they've done ever since Sons of Anarchy, Rescue Me, Rescue Me, and now it's always Fargo. sunny in Philadelphia is great. The you know they they got, they, they got a lot of good stuff. It's a stacked deck over FX. AMC's kind of what what do they got now? They don't got much. They got The Walking Dead. Comic book man? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what else? They don't, yeah, because they don't have Mad Men anymore. They Breaking don't have Bad's Breaking Bad anymore. They've got Better Call Saul, which... But are we getting another season anytime soon? That's up in the air. So AMC needs Preacher to be a hit, like, in the worst way. And from the looks of this trailer, getting back to the point, mm. um, it looks as though they're getting a lot of the visuals right. I don't know why Jesse Custard has a beard all of a sudden. Um, but all the particulars are kind of in place. They've they've modified Tulip some, um, which I don't have a problem with whatsoever. 
Cassidy looks exactly how Cassidy's supposed to look. Jesse Custer, Dominic, uh, what's his name, Cooper. Mm. He looks he looks the part, but he's got that squish face, he, and he's the lesser Stark. Yeah. Not, not not HBO Stark. I'm talking Marvel <laughs> Stark here. Like he's he's the other Stark. You yeah. know, the one that slums it over an agent Angie Carter. You know, as in these tiny little cameos. So like having him be like the Jesse Custer, my folk hero as far as comic books are concerned, makes me feel like oh they didn't really try, did they? They couldn't have gotten say Richard Armitage or anyone else that could have probably conveyed the right amount of like uh, earnest machismo, but have like this tender heart inside of him. We got Dominic Cooper, who, in my opinion, has never once proven himself in any uh, theater. I mean, the guy was the villain in Dracula Untold. Oh, God, that was a piece of garbage. We skipped that on purpose. That's right, we so did. So why, why the hell am I watching Preacher now? Because it's a Vertigo property. And, and the thing that saps me the most is that, like, as these little synopses are coming uh, onto the internet and I'm reading more and more about it, it's like... They're changing the lore so much. It's like, what's the point? What's the point? It, the, the story in it is so perfect. And um, this is, sounds a bit hypocritical from the guy who lambastes Watchmen almost every single time we do a podcast here. But um, in, in reality, if you wanted to tell a story um, almost to a T what was told in the comic books, Preacher would translate beautifully television it was made for television not literally but it has like the serial structure the episodic structure of a television show and it has like you know um tropes that television shows use all the time like leaps in time flashbacks flash forwards um you know uh deus ex machina just falling from the sky in one case very literally um fans who've read that book know what i'm talking about but with amc they're like ah you know what uh, Seth Rogen, uh, he was in knocked up that one time, so I guess what the hell, make him, make him do it. They didn't do their homework when they signed with these guys, because if they did, they'd realize the last time they did a geek property, it was the Green Hornet. And who in this room actually saw Green Hornet? Matt? Nope. Nope. You? And I was a fan of the TV show. Yeah. And I skipped that one. Yeah. I mean, there's so many reasons to believe this is going to fail, and the trailer did nothing to sate my fears. If anything, they've only solidified them into this calcified little nugget inside of my soul and maybe i'm gonna have to have it removed eventually <laughs> but for now i just have to wait until this thing premieres early next year yeah it's it's pretty bizarre of amc to go with a couple guys best known for their stoner films to mm -hmm. try and do something semi-serious i guess because they think comic book comic writers well, to get into it is that like they're both super fans, yeah, like big time fans of the series, and who the hell can blame them? Um, the the series itself has this very dark gallows humor. It plays pretty broad. There's a lot of body humor. There's a lot of toilet humor. There's a lot of gore humor. There's a lot of torture humor. I mean, it get it goes to dark places. It does. It's and I think it really belonged on a cable plus. Yeah, something channel. that could handle the deluge of uh, offensive material that could like weather the storm when like you know the internet like rears up on its hind legs and goes, "How dare you depict this?" You know, whenever Game of Thrones does something you know audacious or even downright reprehensible, they're like, "Just turn the computer off for a week. It'll blow <laughs> over till next time." Well, AMC, pretty sure, has been playing it so safe with the, their subject matter or have 
been lucky enough to create stories so compelling that they could do horrific things and people won't flip out about it. Like this case, no spoilers about Walking Dead this last couple of weeks. People are concerned, but you're uh-huh. not seeing like, you know, people thought, ah, well, that's it. I'm, I'm canceling the show. That's it. That's it for me. Um, with Preacher, the first issue, the first issue would throw most audiences off with uh, with what what occurs in it. I mean, let alone what happens further into the story. So people like Rogan and Goldberg look at it at face value. Like somebody who can watch, uh, uh, like, uh, Platoon, like Oliver Stone's Platoon, and go, man, that movie was badass. I'm like, dude, you're missing the point. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a broad you know drama, but it's still a drama. You're quoting it like it's like you know these guys are superheroes or like something. it's dude where's my car yeah exactly um i've known people like that my entire life so when i talk to people about preacher normally i can gauge within the first 30 seconds whether or not they like it because it's this story with real gravitas and like a heart and depth or if they like it because there's tits and you know uh, and asshole face and, a- and well, arse face arse face sorry that's arse face so, like, usually I can gauge that person within 30 seconds. I guarantee you, if I discussed this with Goldberg and Rogan, I'd be like, oh, okay, here we go. Yeah, they just like to get high and read this book. And I mean, that's, well, that's us being presumptuous a little, especially me, about these guys. But at the same time, they're in charge of a property that is going to be a make or break for AMC. Mm-hmm. Um, at least for the next couple of years, until they got the next awesome thing around the corner. Let me ask you something. Are you pumped about Into the Badlands? I don't even know what that means. You don't know what that means? What's Into the Badlands? They got a show premiering in November. Uh, it's uh, been developed by one of the top choreographers for, uh, you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, The Matrix. Okay. Um, and is, they... it, is it Bruce Springsteen's origin story? I don't know. I, I can't. Is I, it? I, I really doubt it. Is it a modern update of the movie Badlands? I think it's uh, Quentin Tarantino's It Cracked Out of His Skull and decided to run amok and start a TV show. Because I, it, it, it talks about this guy, um, this Asian fellow named Sonny, Sonny yeah. you know, obviously Sonny Chiba, mm-hmm. who uh, you know, brandishes katana blades and takes on armies of people at once, and with the same kind of string kung fu that you saw in the Kill Bill films, and uh, the kind of stuff that you would see like in uh, Five Deadly Venoms and uh, other crazy, you know, uh, Grindhouse-esque. Uh, so, they're, so, they're, so they're basically AMC is like, going back to uh, 1999 to 2004 mm-hmm. when that's what we were doing when we were just mocking up uh, the Hong Kong Kung Fu stuff sure. and everybody was trying to uh, find the next Tarantino and they were eating everyone was eating it up with a spoon I mean maybe you know the returns weren't always great but those movies were just so pervasive during that time and it looks like this is a throwback to that it, which is just a you know, testament to the pop culture these days where you can automatically see the snake eating its own tail. Mm-hmm. We don't even need to wait for the revival. It just comes. AMC got really, really lucky yeah. when they hit the ground running with original content with Mad Men and then mm-hmm. with Breaking Bad. And this all kind of coincided with appointment television and television kind of becoming the new big way everybody consumes media. Sure. And it's, you can't force lightning into a bottle. No, nope. That's not how it works. Uh-uh. You can't just stand outside when it's raining, holding a jar up, 
being like, come on, get in here. Unless you're Doc Brown hovering in the sky. It's like, watch out, Doc, you gotta get struck by... Oh, we got nope, another show. You know it's a sin just to ask me that. I know. People said before you were a preacher, you did things. How hurt you want him? How far do I go? Well, speaking of lightning in a bottle, uh, Skyfall. Yes. That was a that was a perfect James Bond movie. I might say it's my favorite James Bond movie. Of course, I, I we can talk about our favorite James Bond movie at the end of this, but um, Skyfall, for me, uh, happened uh, right around a time where I was already kind of losing faith in what was going on with... Uh, the Bond franchise, mm-hmm. which I guess is what we're talking about today. Um, so when you know we dealt with, or when we saw Casino Royale, we could see what the Bond franchise could really be now. Yeah, you know, and then move on to Quantum of Solace, and you go, oh, oh, I guess that was we were lucky we got that one. But then Skyfall came right around the corner uh, from all people, Sam Mendes, mm-hmm. American Beauty, Sam Mendes. You know, the last time I saw him working with uh, Daniel Craig was in Road to Perdition. And even though it had Paul Newman in it, I still kind of thought that movie stunk. Uh, I've always been a fan of Road to Perdition. Sure. Uh, I, I, I appreciate Sam Mendes as a director. You know, he spent a lot of time in theater, so he knows how to get performances out of actors. Absolutely. And Skyfall proved that he knows how to shoot an action movie. My God, how great that movie was. I mean, even the... Uh, Home Alone ending with uh, Albert Finney and Judy Dench. I, 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 I ease up on that a bit because the first like two hours of it are just so perfect. Like, yeah. I, I love it so thoroughly. It starts in such a way that is, I'm going to say, the only beginning to a Bond film that is this kind of gripping mm-hmm. is the film that we watched today. Oof. Um, of course, before Daniel Craig took the uh, tuxedo... And put it on. Mm-hmm. Uh, started drinking his martinis. We had Pierce Brosnan, Remington Steele. Yeah, Remington Steele. And out of uh, the '90s, I, I always bring this up, but pre-9/11 James Bond, mm-hmm. we got one great movie. Yeah, Goldeneye. Yes. And then we got some eh, middle of middle of the road stuff. They were crap. It's okay. You don't have to hide around it. We got Goldeneye, which was incredible. Yep. We got uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, even though the genius casting of Jonathan Price is the mm-hmm. villain, predating Game of Thrones by at least 20 years. <laughs> um, kind of was a crummy movie. Shell Crow theme song. Just nothing really redeeming. And then Lois and Clark era Terry Hatcher yeah. being <laughs> a Bond girl. Um, and then we had The World Is Not Enough, which has probably one of my favorite Bond you know, themes by, yeah, by Garbage. That's so good. Just rules. Gets me amped when I listen to it. Um, had, you know... <clears throat> I mean, Sophie Marceau, of course, which is, you know, Braveheart, great. But uh, Denise Richards as a <clears throat> nuclear... Christmas. Physicist. Yeah. Christmas Jones. Mm-hmm. Dr. Christmas Jones. Dr. Christmas Jones. <laughs> okay. Give her the title. She went to uh, fake medical school. That's what I'm going to start calling you this holiday season. Dr. Dr. Christmas Jones. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll see about that. Uh, but then we have the uh, the acme of mm-hmm. a terrible Pierce Brosnan mm-hmm. Bond movie, Die Another Day. Uh, I think we said this a couple of times while we were watching the movie this afternoon. Um, this is, James Bond notwithstanding, the first ever Joel Schumacher Batman Bond film. That's right. Yeah. 
the complete with and ice ice palace mm-hmm. and i would say if you set the two movies batman and robin and die another day next to each other and just counted the terrible terrible puns mm-hmm. They would be running neck and neck. Well, okay. Um, I think that Akiva Goldsman would have needed to doctor uh, Die Another Day's script a little bit to get mm-hmm. there, but you're absolutely right. I mean, James Bond is a punny guy. Or at least he used to be. He can be. He can be. He's got the wit in there, and Craig lets off a couple of Bond mods here and there, but they're artfully placed, you know? They're there. Like, um, There's a sophistication to the current Bond films that the prior series never had. Never. I mean, we like to think like a lot of. I, I I know a couple of frat boys I I went to school with that probably thought James Bond was suave as shit. Mm-hmm. But in reality, James Bond was a a, a shit heel. I mean, like James uh, Sean Connery was slick, but he was a pig. Yeah. And and, and uh, George Lazenby at least he got married. <laughs> and, and and Roger Moore, it's like uh, I can just picture like every uh, co-star, every uh, Bond Bond girl having to like you know down a couple of glasses of vodka before each, you know, lovemaking take. Then we have uh, uh, Timothy Dalton, who was just so hell-bent on causing mayhem that he didn't really have too many, like, lovemaking moments, or, or, or even had too many opportunities to be suave. He was like a blunt apparatus. Well, Tim, Tim Dalton was the first, uh, the first go at, let's make James Bond a little more serious, yeah, a little, little more realistic. gritty. He took on uh, drug cartels in Colombia uh, in License to Kill. Like, he had... Um, I think Ian Fleming, before he passed, I could be wrong about this, so correct me if I am, um, actually said before he went on to The Great Beyond that Dalton was actually probably the closest to what he had in mind. And I'm probably totally wrong about that. But if you've ever read the Bond novels, which I have, mm-hmm. um, Bond ain't the most clever guy in the room. Um, he's not, uh, he, he, he's, he's witty, and he, and he knows how to get himself out of a, out of a pickle, but like, he didn't have like the sleek precision, the cat-like precision of Pierce Brosnan, and he certainly didn't have like the the, the hairy-chested brio of Sean Connery. He was closer to, to anything like Timothy Dalton, and he still is. Craig's nothing like the Bond in the books. Um, he might be the like blunt instrument that uh, Fleming always had in mind, especially in Christina Royale. He plows through that yeah. wall at the beginning instead of uh, parkouring his way around. <laughs> Um, which I can only imagine had this because you know Royale been made during the Brosnan era, they probably would have gotten some, you know, doughy looking stunt double to, you know, fill in for Brosnan to do just. Oh, that. I doubt the stunt double would have been doughy at all. They would have it would have been so jarringly <laughs> yeah. obvious that it wasn't Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. Uh, I, and it, it, at times in Die Another Day, Pierce Brosnan feels like as uh, artificial as a lot of the backgrounds and a lot of the effects he is so uneffective as james bond at this point well let's let's hone our focus yeah let's hone our focus on on die another day because having watched it and having you know grown up with the brosnan era you know for a while it was kind of hard to see anyone else being james bond we now know that we have it so much better now absolutely um no nobody does it better (laughs) um but we right now we have to really face a, a stark truth that Pierce Brosnan was Bond due solely to Manifest. That's right. He, uh, they wanted him for the job back in the Dalton days. He couldn't do it because of Remington Steel. He finally got out of that contract in 95, made GoldenEye. GoldenEye made a bundle of money at the time, probably the most profitable Bond movie of all time. 
And then, of course, uh, the slew of sequels came right after. Almost every two years, like clockwork, you could just feel it happening. And they all made money. They all made They Di all made dough. Die Another Day made hand over fist money. I never saw a Bond movie in the theater until Tim, uh, Pierce Brosnan became Bond. Mm -hmm. I didn't get to see GoldenEye in theater, which I always will regret. But um, I saw Tomorrow Never Dies. Well, it's not enough. Of course, Die Another Day in every movie sense. Um, but... Brosnan, at this point, was pushing 50. He'd been doing... This is his fourth outing as Bond. He started late in his career. He didn't have the youthful, you know, zeal of uh, Connery. He didn't have the uh, career angst of Roger Moore. You know, it was just... He didn't have the uh, stoic cardboard effect that Tim Dalton delivered. <laughs> Probably not. And he, most importantly, he didn't have the shimmer that... He once had golden eye. Yeah, he looked so cool and, and so confident. slick. Yeah. and by this by this fourth film, you can see it in his eyes. That must be the problem. Mm. Daniel Craig's going through this right now. Pierce Brosnan went through it. You get to that fourth Bond movie, and you're just beaten into a pulp mm -hmm. because all of a sudden, everyone expects you to just be this perfect super spy and assassin what's crazy is that you're absolutely right about that that's not because you're crazy it's crazy but um uh, uh pierce brosnan actually had to create stipulations in his contracts for films that he was not bond in and he's like i will not appear in a tuxedo in these movies huh. even in uh the uh thomas crown affair that movie he did with uh Rene russo the remake of the mcqueen thing yep. Like, he's in a uh, tuxedo, sure, but, like, that tie ain't buttoned. His, his, his buttons are loosened. You can see his chest underneath. Like, he is not the clipped and trimmed Bond, which is what everyone attributed him as. Ah, oh, Miss Frost. I'll show you your room. A palace of ice. You must feel right at home. So, yeah, Pierce Brosnan clearly has been haggard at this point from having to toe the line mm -hmm. as this super heroic super spy. Yeah. You could see it, the look in his eyes halfway through this movie. He's just exhausted. He's clocked out. He looks like he spent 14 months being tortured. But can you, just like in the movie, but can you blame him though? Because like at this point, uh, Bond had hit like this like critical mass because of GoldenEye the game, GoldenEye the movie, that the video games that they were making, that EA was making at the time, were making James Bond out to be like this, like, like Superman, like this Ubermensch. Uh, if you'll forgive the term, uh, where he has like this slick Aston Martin that looks more and more phallic with each successive entry, um, that uh, he has all these tools that are completely incredulous. We got space bases to infiltrate, and we have underwater lairs and like deep subterranean caves that are being held up by uh, elusive criminals like Goldfinger and uh, all this other crap. When in reality, you know. That's what Bond always was, but you could tell that wasn't the Bond Brosnan wanted to make. And that's what this movie feels like. It's it feels cartoon. like it feels like they wanted to take James Bond and dial that up to eleven mm -hmm. the the way that the seventies and eighties, I mean like Moonraker and all that mm -hmm. wanted to dial it back up with the camp, but also this is a video game. Yeah. They made a video game when you're, starring a 50-year-old who skipped Arm Day. When you see, when you see uh, Pierce Brosnan yeah, struggling he's holding with a himself, parachute, yeah. trying to 
Parasurf. Yeah, and that's how he survives. That's not like him going, oh, I guess I'll have some fun doing this. You know, it's like, no, this is how he's surviving, like, you know, a jam. Like, he's got space sunbeam shooting down straight at him, mm-hmm. and this is how he survives. At that point, you've reached the nadir of, the, of this part of the franchise. Like, every Bond has their worst movie. You know, Connery had Diamonds Are Forever, uh, arguably. Um, uh, Lazenby has the dignity of only having one bow, so there it goes. Um, Roger Moore, practically everything between uh, Live and Let Die and uh, The Spy Who Loved Me. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Dalton, uh, The Living Daylights, Brosnan, Die Another Day. Yeah. Uh, I'm, let me ask you this. Sure. How many times in your life have you thought, I wonder what it would be like to see a middle-aged James Bond surfing? Never. It never occurred to me once. And so it would be logical then, it would follow, that you would say, maybe I don't want to see Pierce Brosnan as James Bond in his it, pushing 50 surfing twice mm-hmm. in one movie. He literally surfs... Right into North Korea. Mm-hmm. That's how the British can infiltrate North Korea, by sending surf spies who don't bail once. Like, they're just on that board, cruising these waves, They're surfing it. for, like, 15 minutes, it's it seems like. the whole part of the movie. And, like, they, they, but they surf in there, and inside the surfboard, they got their own stupid little spy tools. Yeah, because everyone knows surfboards work better when they're heavy and yeah, they're packed but, with yeah. weapons and bombs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, surfers, sorry guys, you've been doing it wrong the entire time. That's apparently. right. You should convert your surfboard into like a wallet and luggage. Yeah. Because apparently you can just travel via surfboard. Yeah. And the when he lands, when he's, he's got the parachute and he lands, I made the joke when, when we were watching the movie, he just gets tangled up at everything. Yeah, like and, he gets caught in his ears, yeah. this clumsy thing. And and Lee Tamori is just like, ah, sorry, Pierce, we we got to take one take on this one. How much would it have sucked to have been the second unit director for this movie? Oof. Like when you're thinking about like the crumbling ice palace and you have to shoot all the ancillary scenes of the cars zooming through here with all the water pouring down. What if you fucked that scene up and you got to take the cars back down and then start all over again? What a nightmare this movie would have been to shoot. And, you know, the, uh, the graphics in this movie are very easy to shit on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of, there's some moments toward the end when it gets clim- climactic mm-hmm. where you're just like, someone at the effects studio lost a file and had to go back last minute and like, duh, duh, frantically, mm-hmm. frantically re-render something that yeah. is just looks like hot garbage. I've seen better effects in Adult Swim TV shows. And this isn't like we're still in the 90s. This was 2002? 2002. Yeah, so I mean, we were... I mean, Jackson was just making like finishing up his Lord of the Rings trilogy. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you don't have the excuse, Lee Tamahori. You you don't have the excuse that the technology wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And they try to like show like, ooh, hey, look at this. But it's like, this looks ridiculous. Like, we're playing you know, the crappy Bond games that came after Goldeneye on our PlayStation 2s, and they look infinitely better than what you're showing us in this movie. Um, but to gripe about crappy CGI at the turn of the century is kind of, you know, that's it's flogging a dead horse pretty easily. Um, my big complaint in this movie, mm-hmm. above all else, is Halle Berry. Magnificent view. It is, isn't it? If you want to talk about a joke role, like, she, 
I have seen her act. I have seen her do wonderful things. Seen her win an Oscar. Seen her win an Oscar. Seen her win a a, a raspberry. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, there are two roles that have forever plagued her and probably sunk that career of hers, and it's this flick and Catwoman. And I can't decide which one I preferred her in. I really can't. I've watched them both more than once because I'm a masochist. That's right. But, um, like, that scene, oh, my God. Like, I know, like, they were paying, like, it was, like, the 50th anniversary of Bond or something, and they were trying to pay homage with all these little cute Easter eggs throughout the movie, and no scene was more stuck full of them than the Q sequence, but we could talk about that later. Um, but when Halle Berry comes out of the water, like, she's Ursula Andress and Dr. No, it's like, no. Ursula Andress just walked out of the water. She got up and she goes, okay, done with the water now. I'm going to walk <laughs> out. But she looked incredible and, everyone, and every, you know, Bond uh, girl ever since that point was trying to emulate her. Right. Halle Berry just like pops out of there like a, like Ophelia. Like she just comes out and she's heaving and like she's walking the sachet out of the water. When I don't know about you, but when I walk out of the water, I feel like I'm... The weight of the world is pressed down upon me. I can't even stand up. I don't really walk out of the water. I just kind of flop onto the uh, beach like a beached whale, uh, but in human ancestors. form. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, and then they have that that terrible little scene in the uh, cabana bar mm. where Pierce Brosnan. What's he say, Bird? What does he say? Mojito. <laughs> he like no, he like he adopts this Havana accent, like I mojito. <laughs> Mojito? And it's like, he yeah. He says it so many times and it's so terrible. He does it twice because, like, he, he's trying to, like, because uh, it happens later in the Ice Palace and he sees. He says he says it twice in that scene and then he says it to get her attention mm-hmm. in the Ice Palace. And I'm just, I had already audibly said, please, I don't want to hear Pierce Brosnan say that word again. When you're doing, when you're a filmmaker working on, I don't care what franchise movie, but if you're, you get in the dailies, I know you are, and you're sitting there at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day or whenever you screen them and you're watching them with producers and your screenwriter and you're just like looking at this thing, or maybe I'm being naive and they just stopped doing that, that would make a lot of sense. But when you're looking at them, you're like, that didn't work, we need to fix that. Like, you can't watch that and go... Cool. <laughs> Let's move on. No, I, I. By this point in the movie, I was thoroughly convinced that someone, maybe Lee Tomahori, maybe Pierce Brosnan, someone decided, you know what? This is a comedy. Mm-hmm. This is a full-fledged comedy. Yeah, I've yeah. never laughed this much during a James Bond movie, or even during like uh, the Spy Who Shagged Me, mm. or you know, it's the, definitely funnier than any of the Austin Powers movies. That's for sure. And what's funny too is because. Powers was happening at this point, so you know they were at least aware that you know spy spoofs were happening in their name, mm-hmm. and yet they didn't modify themselves. They became a part of the parody. They Absolutely. became a part of the fun, uh, depending on your definition of fun, of course. Oh, you know what my definition of fun is? What's that? Uh, is Asian people taking uh, DNA therapy mm-hmm. to turn themselves into white people. Yeah, there's nothing remotely really racist about that. I don't care what the subterfuge is. It's like, I'm going to infiltrate you know, England and create a giant space satellite that can shoot a beam down into this, uh, the earth that blows things up. You know, I, I thought the moral of this villainous arc was that if you're white, 
nobody will question you when you say, I want to put this thing in space that's going to be great. It's going to be like a big old light bulb, and there's nothing nefarious about it. I Trust me, that's my I'm point. white. Holy shit. Uh, how could, what were the, okay, so when you're thinking of like the, the, the trustees that are like, you know, facilitating all the money to put into these and like allocating the funds to this factory to create this apparatus and this and like they know what the end game is like it's all you know drawn up and like this is the scope this is before kickstarter so like he probably had a hell of a pitch but no one no one in the world and they had dignitaries there we're looking at this thing going that looks like a weapon that looks like what ronald reagan was trying to do i mean is it still the cold war and Did also, I, am I having a stroke? Is is this is the Bond universe a universe in which Star Wars doesn't exist? So they don't know what a Death Star is. Mm -hmm. They can't look and say like, "Huh, you know, maybe we shouldn't put a giant mirror in the sky to deflect the sun." Huh? Is that what happens to a little bug? When you're a kid and you're really sadistic and you get that magnifying glass, the sun's hot I don't and it's know. beaming. I don't know, Bird. What did you do? I didn't do that. <laughs> I didn't do that. I've never owned a magnifying glass a day in my life. Oh, man. Now, uh, obviously, what <laughs> this is a world filled with lasers mm -hmm. where everybody just wants to murder each other with lasers. With lasers. Because they, they have to harken back to that scene in Goldfinger, except this time we have Jinx, played by Halle Berry, uh about to be flayed but please continue with your point i don't understand why this is a movie that is so thoroughly racist and so thoroughly offensive to korean people to asian people in general why they have to refer to blood diamonds as conflict diamonds mm -hmm. it's and, like oh now we're going to be sensitive yeah that's yeah, it yeah. uh so basically for those of you who haven't seen it mm -hmm. a a Korean general's son mm -hmm. is uh, presumably murdered by James Bond. Oh, lay it on us, bro. And then uh, goes into hiding, finds a, a secret island uh, clinic off of Cuba where a doctor will give you gene therapy to fully transform you into a white person. Then, as that white person, he just goes and finds a bunch of blood diamonds. Well, the hell with that. He, he, he creates a gigantic mammoth fortune, seemingly overnight. And the press are befuddled by him because they've never once heard about research. Yeah. And they're like, how did you amass this fortune? And why don't you ever sleep? And why are you building this thing? Who are you? Where did you come from? Why and, did this happen in the last 14 months? Uh, why, did, why, if you were bald, I would be willing to call you Lex Luthor? Mm -hmm. Like, what? He's a guy who... He's Lionel Luthor. Yeah, no, yeah. Lance Luthor. Lance Luthor. He parachutes into... He parachutes into press conferences like he is fake James Bond in yeah. real life. Mm -hmm. He is an obsessive fencer. He gets really upset when James Bond shows up to try to foil his plot, which is he's going to trade all these diamonds into the diamond bank yeah. to pay for this giant satellite mirror yep. that totally nobody thinks is going to be a dangerous weapon. Because nobody realizes he's, he's secretly an evil Korean, mm -hmm. uh, which is the, I can't that's even. The, that's the whole plot. That's it, it. There's no resolution that needs to be had. There's no arc that needs to be established. The only arc 
the only person who really has an arc in this movie is Gustav Graves, uh, the Korean general's son, uh, who like comes full circle when he shoots his pop in the in the belly after giving him the uh, Emperor Palpatine electric hand. Yeah. By the way. You, you mean the power glove. The power glove. He's, he's wearing, like, a bodysuit modeled after the power glove. How the costume designer, like, skipped that. Maybe they were, like, really, you know, sophisticated in their house and they didn't have a Nintendo growing up. But, like, or maybe that, they were high. That was a, a goddamn power glove if I had ever seen one. That was a power glove that gives you the ability, like Emperor Palpatine, to force electrocute anyone that you touch. Man. Who was this actor? Who played Gustav Graves? He's in Bay's uh, a Black Sails show. I don't know his name. It's it's slipping me right now. Toby. It's Toby something. It, uh, I don't care. I got it. I get, it doesn't second. matter. What's his name? Toby Stevens. Toby Stevens. How? I mean, maybe he's like this really great guy who's got like seven kids and like you know, works but like donates 50% of his like earnings to charity and like, you know, takes in, you know, you know transients off the street and like fixes them up like in Mr. Deeds Goes to Town and, you know, maybe he just does lots of wonderful stuff but he looks like such a raging asshole. Like, his sneer. He's like, smarmy. I've never wanted to, like, seeing it in the theater, I'm like, looking at him, like, my fists started to ball on their own. Like, I was like, looking at myself, I'm like, how much hate do I actually have inside of me? I'm about to find out because this guy's not, he's, his smiles are not stopping. He looks like an evil clone of Tate Donovan. Yeah. That's why oh the whole God. time, the whole time I was watching, Ooh. I was like, he looks like if uh, if Tate Donovan had a twin that was attached to him <laughs> at birth that got removed and then incubated and just fed like tapioca pudding <laughs> and just like meat pies and just the grossest English food that you could come up with. Just like, yeah, eat this bloody blood sausage, little boy. <laughs> And then so he grows up just being hateful and angry, yeah. and he's like, oh, I'm going to show my brother Tate that I can be a real fine actor. And then Julia Roberts dumped him at some point. <laughs> I'll show him I'm going to be in love potion number 10. <laughs> yeah. But he's just so terrible to look at, and then he delivers he, this, oh, blood-gurgling performance when he starts... Becoming the... Becoming the, Korean. Yeah, when he starts, like, you know, acting like the Korean... Uh, fellow who played the general's son at the beginning of the film and he's like really stiff and like clenching his jaw and he's turning his whole body instead of his head and he's not grasping uh his henchmen he's like clutching them and, and he like, fades in and out so i, I want to say effortlessly because there is no effort being mm -hmm. used he's just mm -hmm. forgetting he's just slipping in and out of like i'm an englishman i'm a white man oh no wait i have to be korean yeah I'm an Englishman, I'm a white man. Oh, no, shit, I have to be a Korean right now. It's, it's a sloppy mess of a performance to watch, but he, and yet, paradoxically, he's so effective as a Bond villain. Because mm -hmm. um, like, he is very hard to stomach. Well, that's why I'm like so worried about having Christoph Waltz as uh, you know, a villain inspector. And by the way, I'm calling it right now, kids. The name that they gave us on the internet is bullshit. He's Ernst Blofeld. I'm calling it right now. We'll wait till we see it the, in theaters on Thursday. But um, like having... Waltz as a villain is really on the nose. Like yeah. it's so like perfect. It it, it just smacks of uh, fraudulence. But having this kid as a Bond villain is is almost the polar opposite of that. Where it it should work so perfectly and yet it doesn't at all. Like he he harkens back to like the uh, manic supervillains of like pop you know science fiction. Mm -hmm. You know like where he has this grand master scheme and he holds the world in his hands and he's 
like, you know, directing his ire towards, like, the object of his anger. And, like, he has all this power, and yet all you really see is, like, this really peculiar action figure thing standing in the middle of a, a poorly constructed set uh, with a 50-year-old James Bond trying to take him down. Like, it yep. just... It, it, the whole franchise, that was when it the whole thing fell apart. Yeah, there's never a point... We mentioned this early in the film when there's the... Uh, the fight at the uh, the white people clinic, mm-hmm. where uh, James Bond fights Diamond Face. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's no universe in which Diamond Face, who's this really ripped Korean guy mm. who looks terrifying, yeah. he looks great. Oh, he man, looks he looked way awesome. A Bond villain should look visually probably one of the coolest looking Bond villains ever. And he should have whooped his ass. And yet, there's no way that Dad. Beats up <laughs> Spy Dad spy beats dad up beats Diamond up. Face. Yeah, it's like watching Roger Moore beat up Jaws. Like Oof. it's like I don't buy this one bit. But like watching this thing fall apart, like a franchise has to reach like like the pinnacle of awfulness for it to you know catch itself and right the ship. Like it happened with the Batman franchise. Batman and Robin was so campy and awful that Christopher Nolan was the only plausible choice to fix it. Same too with uh uh, fixing the Bond franchise. They're like, Martin Campbell brought us back with GoldenEye, bring us back with Casino Royale, and we'll go from there. Applied some grounded realism with the occasional Bond flourish, and you made it work. And it's a thing that they blew with Quantum of Solace, but with Die Another Day? Die Another Day was a franchise killer. Yeah, that that was the day James Bond almost died. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's so many moments in that movie where you just you just... I just was getting physically sick to my it was, stomach. It's so long. It's two and a half hours long, and it didn't need to be. It's an hour too just long. Sitting there, just like waiting for it to end, and that's one of the worst parts of living is waiting for a movie to end. It's like I could be out frolicking outside, playing in the daffodils, flying a kite, and instead I'm watching Lee Tamahori's Die Hard. Or excuse me, <laughs> Die Another Day, which is funny because didn't he make a Die Hard movie? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. No, he didn't. What? But uh, he did get arrested. Lee Tamahori, true story, he was arrested in L.A. in 2006, uh, dressed as a woman, for propositioning a police officer for oral sex. I believe all of that. Yeah. I believe all of that. So I think that's the desperation he hit after making a really terrible James Bond movie. Well, to wrap all this up, um, we talked about easily our least favorite Pierce Brosnan James Bond movie. What is your absolute favorite Bond movie? Number one, with a bullet, no equal, what's yours? All right, so I'll preface this by saying mm-hmm. uh, I think Skyfall is the best Bond movie. Sure. Uh, I think Casino Royale is fantastic. Sure. But I grew up with Roger Moore. Okay. Oh boy. And uh, A View to a Kill mm. is my jam. Mm, a that, View to a Kill is my jam. That is a lovely Moore movie. Yeah. Because that was the movie... That I saw and I was like, holy shit, Christopher Walken is terrifying. Yeah. Holy shit, Grace Jones mm-hmm. is terrifying. Sure. God, if any other Bond was in that movie, I would totally agree that it's perfect. But yeah. I can't stand Roger Moore. And also, also, mm. uh, we talked about some of the best. Obviously, Madonna's Die Another Day song is the worst. It's the worst. When was that style of music ever popular? Ever. Never. Never. But as far as great Bond themes go, you have Skyfall by Adele. Oof. 
You've got yeah. uh, Tina Turner's Golden Eye. Yeah. You've got Garbage. Written by uh, you, uh, uh, Bono, Bono and the Edge. Yeah. But my, and, you know, and I've got a soft spot for Live and Let Die because I love the song. Everyone but does. the best Bond theme to me forever is Duran Duran, A Beauty Would Kill. Mm. Dance into the fire. Oh, there we go. Sickness, please. All right. Yeah, that's enough of that. Yeah, all right. Well, go ahead. What's your favorite? Uh, my favorite Bond film, I would say, of all time, has to be From Russia with Love. Okay. Uh, for me, uh, a lot of people love Goldfinger. I love Goldfinger too. It probably is my number two. But From Russia with Love. James Bond notwithstanding is probably one of the more meditative Cold War thrillers that came out of that era. Okay. Um, it does have its James Bondian flourishes as it must, but like in my heart, love that flick. And how do you feel about the theme music from uh, that one? Well, eh. I, I, <laughs> From Russia With Love didn't have a theme, oh. neither did Dr. No. Um, Goldfinger, I think, was the first Bond film to actually have a theme that like was put out on vinyl, listened to it... Um, uh, Shirley Massey, by, by the great Shirley Massey, but like my favorite Bond theme, aside from "World Is Not Enough," which I already said, um, has to be "Live and Let Die" by Paul McCartney. Even though I still maintain he needed a copy editor when he was writing that song, <laughs> that little line, "A world in which we live in." It's like every time I hear that bit, it makes me cringe, and that's like the linchpin of the whole song too. It's like where it shifts <laughs> on that line, so it always makes me. But it's so bombastic and loud and huge. Um, but the Dark Horse candidate, okay, always. Adele, Skyfall. Whew. Goosebumps every single time I hear that. Song. That's right. Um, you know, and also, uh, how about the uh, unreleased pulp theme mm, for yeah. Tomorrow Never Lies? You know what? You actually brought that to my attention mm -hmm. and played it for me. I had never heard about this ever happening. And you know I'm a big fan of pulp. Jarvis Cocker, in my heart, is the greatest man on earth. So to have him do a Bond theme seems so perfect. Why it never happened, we'll never know. That's because they're uh, haters. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it's going to take us some time to figure out which of the amazing Bond themes we stick at the end of this episode. We hope you had fun. Uh, if you go see uh, Spectre this week, let us know what you think. Make sure to visit DoomRocket.com for the review on that. That'll be up later this week. Uh, in the meantime... Um, Jared, what's your uh, your Twitter handle? At uh, Jared Jones underscore. I'm at Bird Money and, of course, at Doom Rocket underscore. That's right. Make sure you uh, follow us. If you haven't had the chance yet, we really encourage you to subscribe to this podcast mm. on iTunes. Do it. This is the first time that we've ever been able to actually say oh, that it's out so loud. Oh, it feels good. Uh, give us some ratings. We appreciate any feedback. Uh, especially if you see pictures of us and you let us know how handsome we are. Yes, yeah. All right, well, until next time, that's Jared. I'm Bird. This has been Anti-Monitor from Dude Rocket with Love. Meeting you with a view to a kill Face to face in secret places Feel the chill